Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. As we approach the second half of 2023, markets are pricing a benign path forward. Implied equity volatility is the lowest since the onset of the pandemic, and the S&P 500 is up 20% from October's low. So, is this the calm before the storm, or the end of the worst recession that never was? The CIO of UBS Global Wealth Management, in their outlook for the second half of the year, sets out why they think investors face something of a balancing act. There's a path higher for stocks, but it's a narrow one and comes with risks. Economic growth can neither be so strong as to force the Fed into further hikes, nor so weak as to drive fears of recession. Today on the programme, our panel of UBS experts explain what smart investors can do to position most effectively for the months ahead. We start with Paul Donovan, Chief Economist at Global Wealth Management in UBS. Paul Donovan, always uh, wonderful to speak with you. Thanks for taking time out uh, as we look into the second half. And I guess, well, maybe my first question, rather than going through the report and looking at H2... Perhaps it would be germane to get a quick recap of of H1 from you. Um, Just remind us about where, you know, how we've got to what now, mid-June. What what have been the things that have really stood out for you so far? Well, in the first half of the year, I mean, it's actually performed more or less as expected. And remember, economic data is not very precise. It's it's, subject to lots of revisions. But the general trends have been as expected. We have seen the consumer slowing down. I would characterize this as generally a soft economic landing in Europe, UK, US. The consumer has had a certain amount of resilience. Uh, coming through from things like increased female participation in the workforce, a continued low unemployment rate, that's given a degree of resilience. But frankly, you know, a lot of the pandemic era savings have now been used. Uh, we don't have the same spending firepower. So there's been the slowdown on the growth side. On the inflation side, I mean, the goods price inflation disappeared entirely. Um, you know, the the Transitory inflation of 2021, which was very, very strong, durable goods prices driven by extraordinary demand levels, that's now completely disappeared. Forget about it. Um, and that essentially disappeared at the end of 2022, and it's just not come back. The energy price inflation has also faded from the picture. And so that has allowed inflation rates to come down uh, across the developed world. What has happened, though, is the Profit-led inflation is still there. It is being squeezed now. We're starting to see some some really strong pushback against companies expanding margin, um, uh, as it were, unfairly. And so that is starting to come under pressure. But that's sort of the residual inflation that we've had for most of the last six months. Uh, well, Paul, let me ask you then. It's interesting. The, the report uh, looking into H2 asked this question in, a, I guess, I don't know, maybe sort of partly playful way. Um, where are we at now then? Is it the sort of calm before the storm? Are we at the end of this sort of recession that, that never was? Or is it a bit of both or actually <laughs> not much of either? Well, it, it is complicated at the moment. And of course, not all economies are in exactly the same place. But I think we are generally heading to to a soft landing type scenario. So really, it depends on how you want to define the word recession. Um, you know, are we going to get really dramatic increases in unemployment? I think that's quite unlikely, to be honest. I think the consumer is resilient enough that we, we avoid that situation. But are we going to have a period 
probably you know a, a fairly long period of below trend economic activity yes that's also quite probable i mean the the damage to real wages you know after we account for inflation living standards have really come down quite a bit over the last two years um, that's going to be reflected in in the level of economic activity we see now. So below trend growth, absolutely. Calamitous, dramatic rises in unemployment, you disastrously weak growth. No, I don't think so. Uh, well, Paul, we're going to speak to your colleague, Kieran, uh, the editor-in-chief, I think, of, of the report in a moment. And I guess he'll talk us through more uh, tips, hints, uh, ideas for investors to best position. But just if we do look ahead then uh, with you uh, on the sort of macro picture, are we still, it was funny, we spoke at the start of the year, of course, UBS characterising 23 as a as a year of inflections. In a sense, it, does that continue to be the case as we look into H2? On, on macro terms, what are you looking out for? Well, I think we are uh, experiencing uh, a year of inflections, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, The inflation story, I think, is a very, very good example of this, where we had the inflection on consumer durable goods, from from inflation to deflation, very, very rapid change. We had the inflection on the energy supply shock, where that has not disappeared entirely, but it's certainly largely uh, disappeared, largely dissipated from um, the overall inflation picture. And we're now, right now here in June, seeing the mounting pressure on profit-led inflation. Um, you know, the, the Bank of England governor, the UK chancellor, and um, the UK prime minister have all come out uh, uh, you know, in the wake of the Bank of England's decision to raise interest rates by half a cent, essentially attacking profit margin expansion and um, uh, this profit-led inflation story. So we're right at this inflection point here. And on the growth story, I think we're also coming to the inflection point. So I don't think we've quite hit the bottom yet. I think that's really a third quarter story for most economies. But we, we do get that inflection where you know, the, the deceleration of growth will level out as we go into um, the next quarter, I believe. Paul Donovan. Next up, let's hear from the editor-in-chief of the H2 Outlook, an old friend of the programme, Kieran Ganesh. Kieran, great to have you with us as ever. Tell me, first of all, why there is something of a balancing act for investors to try to manage right now. We've come to an interesting place because markets have rallied quite substantially uh, in the first half of the year. And on the face of it, that might appear as though that's the market telling you that uh, the recession isn't going to happen. There's been these interest rate increases, but the implications might be less um, than has been perceived. Um, but when you look at it in a bit more detail, you'll see that the rally in the markets has really been driven by very few stocks. And in fact, seven large stocks in the US, largely related to hopes and optimism about artificial intelligence, have driven a lot of that rally. So when you look beneath the surface, there are still quite a number of sectors and companies that are showing some signs of stress um, as a result of the first half. So the big question that we have from here is really how do we navigate this going forward? Is that recession still due to come? And how do we deal with this market, um, which has at an index level, rally quite substantially, but where there's also quite a lot of dispersion. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that prompts the question then, what should investors do as they look uh, through the the second half? And the report, it sets out a number of different uh, areas. Well, we've heard uh, a bit of a few headlines from Paul and we'll dive in a bit more detail into the US equities picture. But maybe, Kieran, you could just rattle through uh, some of these takeaways, starting off with, um, with fixed income. 
Yeah, so our, one of our preferences for the second half of the year is to buy quality bonds. Uh, and the reason is that we prefer fixed income over equities. When you look at the stock market, uh, we think that there is a path still higher, but that's quite a narrow one. What you essentially have to believe is that interest rate increases are over, the recession is cancelled, and we can see some of those technology stocks maintaining or extending their gains. Now, each of those might have some merit in itself. Um, however, when you bring them together, that's when we think it looks less likely. And for example, in order to see no interest rate increases, then we're likely need to, going to need to see a sharp drop in inflation. Um, but if the economy stays strong, then it makes it more likely that inflation stays higher for longer. You know, Equally, if the stock market continues to perform very well, then the central bank is likely to kind of want to put a dampener on that and increase interest rates further. So we think it's unlikely that you're going to see a combination of the economy holding up well, central banks stopping interest rate increases, and those technology stocks holding their gains. And that's part of why we're preferring to be in fixed income. And we're focusing more on the quality end of fixed income, and just because we still have that risk that uh, growth is going to slow and potentially into a recession in the US. Uh, and that could mean an increase in corporate default. So we think that the higher quality bonds are a better place to be. And typically what you've seen historically is that when the Fed stops increasing interest rates, then you tend to see bond yields falling and prices rising. And of course, those bonds could also be expected to rally in the event of a recession emerging. So we think from a yield perspective and from a portfolio perspective, and this is a good time to be investing in quality bonds. Yeah, and if we look at income and, and looking at some robust income streams, it's not just about high quality bonds. Again, the second sort of uh, hint and tip for investors is to consider more diverse uh, and robust income streams. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so a lot of um, our clients have been holding um, quite high cash balances and that, that's been working quite well recently because, of course, it, central banks have been increasing interest rates and therefore they've been able to earn a lot more than they have done historically on those cash balances. And what we're just uh, trying to discuss with people is the fact that, yes, those interest rates are high now, um, but if the economy starts to slow and central banks need to start thinking about how to stimulate growth instead of how to tackle inflation, then those interest rates can drop quite quickly. I think we've seen that in the past two or three uh, downturns. We've seen central banks even cutting interest rates down to zero. So what we're thinking about with clients is how can they think about a strategy whereby they can lock in some of these yields or get a way of earning a sustainable income over the next four or five or six years rather than just earning quite a nice return in cash this year, but then that going away there afterwards. So some of the strategies we're looking at include some of the riskier parts of fixed income. So things like emerging market credit, um, where you can earn very attractive uh, yields in excess of what you can on some of those higher quality bonds. Um, we also like some of the dividend paying equities, um, which can deliver a return for, or a yield of around 4% uh, on an annual basis currently with the potential for that to grow over time uh, with inflation. We're also looking at some volatility selling strategies. Um, even though volatility has dropped uh, in equity markets, there are still some interesting opportunities in the commodity and foreign exchange spaces, which we're looking to uh, monetize to earn extra income as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's carry on our, our quick fire run through, uh, Kieran. Uh, the third aspect uh, for investors to think about uh, does focus on, on equities. Um, but tell us where it might be expedient to look for value. 
So if you look at the equity indices, they've done quite well this year, but it has been driven by very few stocks. You've seen those big seven US names rallying very sharply in excess of 80% on average. And the remainder of the index, the other 493 stocks in the S&P 500, are performing much more poorly. Uh, as we look to the second half, our focus is on those laggards. We think that the gap between the leaders and the laggards is going to close. And we think it's better for investors to be investing in some of those stocks that have lagged behind uh, in the first half. So at a regional level, that means that we prefer emerging markets as a whole relative to the US as a whole. Uh, within the US, we're focused more on what we call the equal weight S&P 500. So a way of investing which invests equally across all of those 500 companies rather than tilting too heavily towards those large companies that have already done so well. Uh, and then by sector, we're focused more on industrials, utilities and consumer staples, a nice balance of cyclical and defensive sectors, but which have lagged behind in the first half. And we have a least preferred view on technology, which has really been at the vanguard of the rally. So you know, looking for the companies that have performed a bit more poorly in the first half of the year to close the gap with some of those leaders in the second half. Um, and again, you mentioned the the U.S. equities picture. If we keep it keep talking about the U.S., what about the dollar? Because I guess it's been uh, weakening, or we expect further. Uh, you know, a weaker dollar looks like being a bit of a feature for the second half. Yes, we, we do expect further dollar weakness um, for the second half of the year. Uh, and essentially what we've seen is that inflation in the US has come down a bit more quickly than it has in Europe. And that's going to manifest itself in central bank policy. So we've already seen the Fed pausing its interest rate increases at the same time as the European Central Bank, the Swiss National Bank, they've continued, the Bank of England's even increased, continued at an increased pace. So we think that with interest rate hikes still happening in Europe, and perhaps even at a faster pace than before, whereas they're on hold in the US, that's going to mean that the difference in interest that you're able to earn between Europe and the US will start to close and people will start to shift funds away from US dollar cash and towards some of those European currencies like the pound, the euro uh, and the Swiss franc. And we think that that will support a depreciation of the US dollar relative to some of those European currencies. We also see upside for the Japanese yen um, as well on a similar story. Uh, now, Ken, one of the perennials we always talk about is uh, building diversification uh, into your portfolio construction um, and to continue to diversify is the fifth uh, suggestion. In this case, with a, a particular looking at diversification through sort of the, the alt prism. Yes. So diversifying with alternatives, we think, does make sense at a time um, of uncertainty and it will be a way of managing equity bond portfolios through periods when there is uncertainty about monetary policy and about inflation. So in particular, at the moment within the hedge fund space, and we're focused on those macro funds, which uh, tend to play trends in macroeconomic environments and have tended to perform quite well during periods of equity market weakness. So when the equity market's been falling, those managers have managed to take advantage of certain market trends and to be able to deliver a positive return. So we're focused on that area because we do expect to see markets as a whole being weaker uh, in the second half. 
Uh, and then within the private market space, we're looking for what's known as secondary strategies. And so strategies which can pick up assets in the secondary market um, at potentially attractive valuations, given some of the uh, some of the volatility and some of the concerns out there right now, and then transform those businesses over time and deliver returns to investors. So uh, we think by diversifying into these areas, uh, investors can add some combination of return and lower risk to their portfolios, of course, if they're aware or some of the lack of liquidity in these spaces. Um, just onto the sixth uh, advisory, uh, Kieran, this is interesting. I guess this is a consequence of an expectation that central banks may may have to or may consider leaving their inflation uh, or allowing inflation to stay above targets or modestly above targets for, for a period of time, an extended period potentially, and that could make it attractive to invest in, in real assets. Uh, that's something investors should be thinking about. Yes, so many of our clients are often concerned about the longer term risks of inflation. So, you know, is there a risk that inflation not only stays high for this year or next year, but stays high for an extended time period? And what does that mean for investing? Now, of course, that's quite bad if you're invested in fixed income. But if you're invested in real assets, then there tends to be some degree of linkage to inflation. So we think having some real assets in the portfolio can act as something of a hedge um, for investors who are looking for that longer term uh, link to inflation and longer term inflation um, protection. So what do we mean by real assets? Uh, infrastructure is one area, so investing in um, companies which are either creating or running uh, infrastructure assets. Those assets tend to be run on inflation-linked contracts, and which provides a degree of protection to investors, and they can often uh, provide relatively stable income over time because they are, of course, quite defensive uh, in nature and not particularly cyclical. Um, then we also look in the commodity space at a number of interesting areas. So we like gold, which should benefit from that US dollar weakness. And we like oil, where we think that supply demand dynamics will speak more in favour of oil um, in the second half of the year. And we're also looking towards some of the producers of transition metals. So whether it's looking for copper for solar panels or whether it's looking for lithium for batteries. You know, a lot of the producers of these metals we think will benefit from a multi-year trend um, towards net carbon zero. Um, we think that uh, by investing in some of those companies um, that are producing those metals and mining those metals, uh, investors can again get exposed to real assets, but also linked uh, to an important longer term theme. Well, yeah. And on that uh, point, uh, Kieran, just finally, we often come back to this idea of looking for opportunities in some of these big uh, secular themes that it should inform all good decision making when it comes to a longer term investment uh, time horizon and sustainability as a theme. It's, it's banded around often. Um, but it remains highly relevant. And actually, I guess if we look through H2 2023, uh, the picture is no different. Investors should be thinking about going sustainable. Yes, governments have announced very large uh, packages to stimulate investment in the energy transition. And that money will be getting spent um, both in the second half of this year and over the coming years to come. Um, and we think that that will benefit uh, a range of uh, companies and investments um, along that value chain that are helping uh, transition the world towards net um, carbon zero. And so whether we're looking towards uh, renewable energy or batteries, we think that companies that are exposed um, to these areas you know, could see a secular increase um, in their demand. 
Um, but we're also seeing things more broadly in the sustainability space. Uh, for example, we see uh, water utilities as attractive um, at present as well. Companies that are focused on uh, reducing the use of water, we think are well positioned, both from an investment perspective and a sustainability perspective um, right now. Um, and then we're also seeing increased opportunity set as the sustainable investment universe grows. Um, for example, for people trying to build sustainable portfolios, historically, there hasn't been much availability um, of hedge funds and private market solutions. But those are starting to grow now as well. So we're really seeing an expanded uh, sustainable investing opportunity set, which means that people looking to pursue sustainable strategies no longer need to limit themselves to one or two asset classes or themes. They can build a truly multi-asset portfolio. Karen Ganesh. Well, finally, let's zero in on that US equity picture with Nadia Lovell, senior US equity strategist in UBS Global Wealth Management. Nadia, welcome to the program. What's your take on the so-called surging seven, Nadia? This small number of outlier stocks have driven a rally. Now, that's not unprecedented, but it is somewhat unusual. What do you make of it? Yeah, it's been quite unusual. You've seen very narrow market leadership. Uh, you have an S&P that's now up over 20% off of the October low. But again, it's being driven by just a handful of stock. Only about 35% or so of S&P constituents are actually outperforming the index. And much of that has been actually driven by those AI-related names and the tech and tech-enabled names. Um, we think that this narrow market leadership is uh, concerning and isn't sustainable. Uh, we have a market that's now trading very close to our June 2024 price target of 4400 and we think that it's going to be challenging to sort of continue this breakout to the upside and get above it on a sustainable level. So we don't see much upside to the broader market from here, particularly at the time that we also think that there's just a lot of optimism that's being priced into the market. It's now trading at nearly a 19 times forward price to earnings multiple, and, and that's just quite high from a historical standpoint. And I just would say, like, let's just take a moment to digest that because that's a valuation multiple that's basically near what it was when the Fed started to raise interest rates over a year ago and the growth outlook was just less uncertain. So we think that the market isn't appropriately priced in or discounting the 500 basis points of interest rates right, that we've had so far. And so we think that that makes the market vulnerable for a pullback. And, and also when you think about the growth outlook, um, while you know, the fears around recession and the probability of recession has probably declined since the start of the year, just given the resiliency of the U.S. Uh, economic environment. It is, uh, it's still a risk. Um, and we think that you will see a period of subtrend growth and that's going to keep a cap on the market. So the surge in sevens are looking like they're reaching a point of exhaustion. Um, and we think that the, the market is likely to um, pull back from here. Well, yeah. And I guess then the question that I'm sure lots of your clients ask you is, well, look, you know, I'm interested in this uh, AI in particular within the tech space. It's so compelling as a narrative. But, you know, is it are we in bubble territory? And if it isn't a bubble, how should I how should I participate? How should I position to try and, you know, get get involved in this space? Absolutely. I mean, AI has become the buzzword of the year, um, you know, specifically generative AI. You have, a, you have a third of the S&P 500 companies have mentioned it just in the last quarter. Um, you know, I would say we've been talking about AI for quite some time. It's nothing new to us. It's part of actually our branded ABC of tech theme. Um, 
that we launched a couple of years ago, and that includes artificial intelligence, big data, cybersecurity. So I wouldn't limit the attention to just AI because we think that there are longer term secular trends that are happening here. But within the AI space, I think you have to be careful at this point, you know, we sort of like with every sort of technological development, there's this phase at initial stage where you see stock surge um, that might benefit, um, where someone in that hope phase, but at some point we transition to that proof phase and where there will be differentiation and more sustainable winners start to become clearer. And so right now at this point, we think you want to be highly selective. Some stocks will grow into their multiples over time, while others just won't. And so you want to focus on those companies that are actually demonstrating already revenues behind AI and not, and not just trading on the hope. Yeah. And I suppose then one of the corollary questions that I would have uh, no idea is if we do think that valuations, even among some of these outlier good performers, are, are being a bit stretched, and you mentioned that in your opening remarks, um, what should investors do? Do they need to think about, I don't know, broader sort of capital preservation strategies? What what, what does sort of good decision making look like, given the backdrop that you've described for us? Absolutely. I mean, to be clear, you know, we are cautious on the broader market weighted S&P 500, you know, just given the fact that we've had just a handful of companies um, driving it. It doesn't mean there aren't opportunities. I mean, the market weighted index is up 14% year to date. But when you look at the equal weighted index, that's up just about 3%. We really think that performance gap is going to close and narrow and the laggers will start to uh, outperform. You know, we've been advising, as you noted, like up Opportunities and some of these laggers uh, where valuations are at a discount or more reasonable and less demanded. So when I think about these laggers potentially catch, catching up, that includes the equal weighted S&P 500 index. And from a sector standpoint, um, we believe a balanced approach is warranted. And so we prefer a defensive sector like consumer staples, equality cyclical sectors like industrials and energy, you know, and I would say we recognize that it's been a challenging year to navigate the market just given um, those um, surge in seven. And so uh, what this also signals to us, it's also prudent to have some capital preservation strategies in in place. I mean, I'm thinking about instruments like derivatives that can really offer some downside protection while allowing you to still participate on the upside if these areas of the markets continue to rally. I will remind investors like a balanced approach is really prudent at this point. You want a exposure to different areas of the markets, particularly those laggers. And, you know, even tech and its outperformance, it doesn't mean that this is like a wholesale call to go and um, sell tech. It's about being selective and right-sizing those exposure. I mean, within tech, we're focused on those more defensive areas like software. So we like software over hardware, enterprise over consumer um, and also, you know, fine tune and exposures to those highly cyclical areas like semis that have really outperformed this year. So it's more taking a whole look at the entire portfolio and rebalance where it might be needed. Nadia Lovell bringing us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast moving world of finance each week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club and subscribe to the magazine. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts. You can also discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.